The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing, a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision making. Now let's leap in. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Nowakowski, your podcast host, and you are listening to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing. In this episode, I will be checking out a case in which the meaning of a word and its application of the facts becomes very important. It is a case about the treatment of four dogs and whether or not they were suffering as the word is used within the text of the criminal code in relation to an animal abuse offense. The case is cited as RV Pico 2023 NSCA 33 and a link to it can be found in the episode notes. I will also use information from the lower court's decisions to add context when needed. As I go through the background facts, think to yourself about whether you believe the dogs involved in this case were, quote, suffering. The accused in this matter is Robert Pico. He owned four dogs of the Beagle variety. They were kept in an outdoor enclosure on his mother's property in Newfoundland. In 2018, Pico surrendered the dogs to Beagle Paws, a volunteer group that rescues and rehomes beagles. Members of Beagle Paws went to the property to get the dogs. Although the dogs were active and barking when they were removed from the kennel, they were in an emaciated condition and taken to a veterinarian for treatment. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines emaciated as very thin and feeble, especially from a lack of nutrition. When the dogs were physically examined by the vet, their bodies were found to be in poor condition, and two of them had injuries and infections. Despite their condition, they were described by the vet to be in otherwise good health. For example, their mouths were healthy and their teeth and blood work were fine. The police were contacted and Pico was subsequently charged with four counts under section 445.1 sub 1 sub a of the criminal code for willfully causing unnecessary pain, suffering, or injury to the dogs and another four counts under section 446 sub 1 sub b for willfully neglecting or failing to provide suitable and adequate food, water, shelter, and care for the dogs. The Crown proceeded by summary conviction in the Provincial Court of Newfoundland and Labrador. Seven witnesses testified at trial, including an expert in veterinarian pathology and animal husbandry. She did not physically examine the dogs herself, but relied upon the reports of the attending vet and photographs that were taken of the dogs. I have put a link to a photo of one of the dogs as reported in the local media. This photo may be hard to look at, so you may want to avoid checking it out if you are triggered by animal abuse. The expert described the dogs as in distress and starving. They were so deprived of nourishment, their bodies had effectively consumed their own body tissue to survive, and the expert opined that the dogs would have perished in a matter of days. The expert testified the dogs were suffering and were near death, and she would have expected the dogs would likely curl up in a ball in an effort to conserve energy. Now, the trial judge made several findings of fact based on the testimony and evidence presented. These factual findings included, one, the dogs were in deplorable, grave, and very poor condition caused by Pico's failure to provide food and water. And two, they were emaciated, starving, and near death. Here is some of what the trial judge said. Quote, These animals, while under Mr. Pico's care, were not fed or watered properly and were near death when they were removed from the property on September 21, 2018. One need only look at the pictures of the animals to see the deplorable condition that they were in. This finding is supported by the evidence of the veterinarian and the expert. 
Mr. Pico said that he cried when he saw the pictures of the animals taken on the day of their removal, and I can understand why, irrespective of whether they were being let out of their kennel or had worms, the dogs were the accused's responsibility and they were in grave condition. Let me ask you, do you think the description of these dogs would amount to suffering? The reason I ask this question is because suffering is an essential element of the actus reus for some of the charges Pico was facing. Section 445.1 sub 1 sub a of the criminal code creates the offense of causing unnecessary suffering to an animal. Here is what the text of the provision says, quote, Everyone commits an offense who, a, willfully causes or, being the owner, willfully permits to be caused unnecessary pain, suffering, or injury to an animal or a bird, end quote. So back to my question, do you think the dogs were suffering? Well, the trial judge didn't. Despite her findings of fact, the trial judge acquitted Pico of all charges. In the trial judge's view, the Crown had failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the dogs were suffering within the meaning of the word as it is used in section 445.1. You see, despite the poor body condition of the four dogs, including two of them having injuries and infections, they were, surprisingly, in the trial judge's view, in good health. In other words, but for the dogs being emaciated, starving, in deplorable condition and near death, because they were otherwise in good health, the Crown had not proven the dogs were suffering. After all, the examining vet did not testify that the dogs were suffering, and their mouths were healthy, and their teeth and blood work were fine. And the animal rescue volunteer said the dogs were active and barking when they were removed from the kennel, something the expert said she wouldn't have expected to see. Remember, the expert testified dogs suffering from emaciation would likely be curled up in a ball in an effort to conserve energy. And the expert's opinion that the dogs were suffering was based only on the attending vet's report and the photographs taken of the dogs. She did not herself examine them. With this in mind, what do you think about the trial judge's ruling? Well, the Crown didn't like it and appealed the trial judge's decision to the Newfoundland and Labrador Supreme Court, including the conclusion that the prosecution had not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the dogs were suffering. Remember, the trial judge found, but for their extreme emaciation, the dogs were otherwise in good health on the date of the offense and were not suffering. The appeal judge declined to interfere with the trial judge's findings of fact, concluding no palpable and overriding error was made in determining that the dogs were not suffering. As a result, Pico's acquittals were upheld. But this didn't end the matter. The Crown again appealed, this time to a three-judge panel of the Newfoundland and Labrador Court of Appeal. The Crown challenged Pico's acquittals on several grounds, but I will focus on the trial judge's legal conclusion, based on the facts as she found them, that the dogs were not suffering. So let's quickly review what has happened thus far. A trial judge at the provincial court level factually found the dogs were not suffering, and a judge of the province's Supreme Court upheld this conclusion. But the Court of Appeal took a different view. It noted whether or not the dogs were suffering was not purely a factual finding. Instead, a court is required to determine whether the facts as found met the legal standard of suffering. Here's what the Court of Appeal said, quote, Whether the animals were suffering was an essential element of the actus reus of the offense under section 445.1, sub 1, sub a. The Crown was required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Pico caused the animals to unnecessarily suffer. As a component of section 445.1, sub 1, sub a. Whether or not the animals were suffering was not a question of fact, but a legal conclusion. This determination required the judge to give the proper legal effect to the facts she found, that is, whether the facts constituted suffering as per section 445.1, sub 1, sub a. Put another way, the trial judge had to apply a legal standard, 
that of whether the dog suffered, to the facts. By either approach, this is a question of law, end quote. You see, when a judicial decision related to a criminal charge is appealed, the appeal court must determine the appropriate standard of review to be applied to the lower court's ruling. There are two standards. One involves a question of fact, the other a question of law. Let me use the concept of reasonable grounds as an example to help explain the difference between these two questions. Suppose a trial judge found that a police officer had the necessary reasonable grounds to demand a breath sample. Now, suppose the accused wanted to appeal the trial judge's ruling about the legality of the breath demand. If reasonable grounds was a question of law, then the standard of review would be correctness. On the other hand, if reasonable grounds was a question of fact, the standard of review would be palpable and overriding error. Well, there can be no doubt that the existence of reasonable grounds is founded in the factual findings of a trial judge. The issue of whether the facts as found by the trial judge amount at law to reasonable grounds is a question of law. So what's the difference? Think of it this way. Whether or not the officer smelled liquor on a driver's breath is a finding of fact. The trial judge must decide whether the officer's testimony that he smelled liquor actually happened. Maybe the judge doesn't find the officer's evidence believable on this point. The judge doesn't find the officer credible. Maybe the officer made no note about smelling liquor at the time, nor was it written in any report. The first time the officer mentions the smell of liquor is while standing in the witness box during a voir dire. Deference is owed to the trial judge's factual findings, which on appeal are reviewable only for palpable and overriding error. Showing deference means that an appeal court must accept the relevant findings of fact made by a trial judge unless those findings are tainted by a material misapprehension of evidence, a failure to consider relevant material evidence, or are unreasonable. Whether or not the odor of liquor would provide the requisite reasonable grounds to make a breath demand, whether the legal standard has been met, is a question of law, reviewable for correctness. In deciding whether or not the facts as found by a trial judge in their totality were sufficient at law to constitute reasonable grounds, the trial judge must be correct. Because of this, an appeal court must take its own view of the facts as found by the trial judge and make its own determination of whether there were objectively reasonable grounds for a breath sample demand. The trial judge must get it right. There is no room for error. No deference is owed to the trial judge's analysis and conclusion of whether the facts amounted in law to reasonable grounds. So that's the two standards of review applied to decisions of trial judges. Factual findings are owed deference, but legal conclusions must be correct. So how does this all apply here? Well, the trial judge found the dogs were emaciated and near death at the time they were taken by beagle paws. She said the dogs were in very poor, deplorable, and grave condition. These were findings of fact. The judge was then required to determine whether these facts amounted to suffering at law. This was something the trial judge failed to do, and if she had properly applied the law to the facts, the trial judge would have found the dogs suffered. Here's how the Court of Appeal put it, quote, Having found as a fact that the animals were emaciated in deplorable and grave condition and near death, there is no other conclusion than the animals were suffering, end quote. The Court of Appeal also noted that any degree of unnecessary suffering by an animal would establish the suffering element of a Section 445.1 offense. Quote, whether an animal has suffered for the purposes of establishing the actus reus of the offense is related to whether or not the suffering was necessary. Once it is established that there has been suffering that is unnecessary, it does not matter to what degree, end quote. So simply causing an animal to suffer is not sufficient. The suffering caused must be unnecessary. 
In this case, there was no dispute that the emaciation of the animals was unnecessary. But you might ask yourself, what type of animal suffering could be necessary? In a 1978 case cited as R.V. Menard, the Quebec Court of Appeal examined Section 445.1's former equivalent, Section 402 sub 1, and offered this, quote, It is sometimes necessary to make an animal suffer for its own good or again to save a human life. Certain experiments, alas, inevitably very painful for the animal, prove necessary to discover or test remedies which will save a great number of human lives. Section 402 sub 1 sub A does not prohibit these incidents, but at the same time condemns the person who, for example, will leave a dog or a horse without water without food for a few days through carelessness or negligence or for reasons of profit or, again, in order to avoid the costs of a temporary board and lodging, notwithstanding that these animals would suffer much less than certain animals used as guinea pigs. Everything is therefore according to the circumstances, the quantification of the suffering being only one of the factors in the appreciation of what is, in the final analysis, necessary. End quote. So the Crown need not only prove there was suffering, but such suffering was unnecessary. But again, there was no dispute that the emaciation of the four beagles was unnecessary. But what about the trial judge's reasoning that the dogs were not suffering because they were otherwise in good health? Remember, she equated suffering with an assessment of the dog's overall health. Again, the trial judge's assessment was flawed. Whether or not the dogs were experiencing other ailments or health issues was not only irrelevant, it was contrary to the language used to create the offense. The Court of Appeal put it this way, quote, The offense is not that the animals were caused to or permitted to be in poor health. The offense is that the animals were permitted or caused unnecessary pain, injury, or suffering. For example, a cat who experiences a broken leg at the hands of its owner will have suffered, notwithstanding that the animal was otherwise in good health. A dog that strangles itself because its owner leaves it tied to a tree with a choke chain and duct tapes the mouth shut will have suffered, notwithstanding that the dog may have been otherwise in good health. End quote. In no uncertain terms, the three judges of the Court of Appeal unanimously concluded the trial judge was wrong in her analysis. Based on the trial judge's own factual findings, the dogs were so emaciated that they were near death at the time they were removed by beagle paws. This condition amounted to suffering within the meaning of the word found in section 445.1. Because the trial judge made an error of law, her conclusion on whether or not the dogs were suffering was owed no deference. In other words, her decision deserved no respect by an appellate court. Collectively, the three appeal judges ruled there was no other conclusion that could be reached except that the dogs were suffering. And I quote, To have accepted that the animals were extremely emaciated, starving, in deplorable or grave condition and near death, but not suffering, is wrong in reason, logic, and in law. End quote. I suppose this is a polite way of saying the trial judge screwed up majorly. Since the law had not been properly applied, the Crown's appeal was successful and the matter was sent back to provincial court for a new trial on all eight charges. If you investigate animal welfare cases, you might want to read the entire appeal decision. There is much more to it other than the suffering element I discussed. And you'll see how the trial judge made several other mistakes, legal errors as they are called, in relation to both offenses that Pico was charged with. Causing unnecessary suffering to an animal and failing to provide suitable and adequate food, water, shelter, and care are different crimes requiring a different analysis of their elements. 
If you are interested at all in Beagle Paws, the organization that rescued the four beagles in this case, I have put a link to their website in the episode notes. They accept donations and also offer up dogs for fostering and adoption. Hats off to Beagle Paws and the amazing work they do sheltering and safeguarding our furry friends. If you think this podcast would interest others, please share it. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it. Be smart and stay safe.